The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. We right now have uh, started a new summer mini-series entitled Breathing Room, uh, where we're looking at how to get margin in our everyday lives. And so we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 16, here in a moment. The Gospel of Luke, chapter number 16, here in just a moment. Uh, Before we get started, I want to ask you to pray uh, for our missions team. We just had a team that we sent off earlier this week uh, to the Ivory Coast, East Africa, And uh, so I hope that you'll keep them in your prayers. And I'm so thankful that we get to be a church that's not just uh, making an impact here in Fresno, but literally around the world. And through our missions program, uh, we're able to see orphanages built up. We're able to help with schools and colleges and churches being started, not just here in the States, but literally around the world. And because of your just generosity to our faith promise missions giving, it really makes a lot of that possible. So let me just say from my heart, Thank you so much, and uh, thank you for your willingness uh, to be a small part of what God's doing through us around the globe. Gospel of Luke chapter number 16 is where we are going to be. Let's have a word of prayer. Uh, we'll ask the Lord to bless our team, and then we'll get into our message this morning. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity where, where we have to get together. We thank you for the early service and how you blessed, Lord, through your word and, and with fellowship. And I, I pray that as we dive into your word this morning that uh, it will be a help that it will uh, encourage us, and Lord, help us to know a little bit more of what your heart is for our lives. I pray that you would bless in a way that only you can. Uh, be with our missions team this morning as they're serving in East Africa. I pray that you would just put a hedge of protection around them. I pray that you'd bless them, Lord, in their ministry, and uh, bring them back to us safely. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. About a year ago, uh, maybe 10 months ago or so, I got a phone call. I answered the phone, and The individual on the other line said, hello, is this Mr. Ermler? I said, yes, it is. What can I do for you? They said, we are glad to announce that you have just won a free vacation to Mexico. And I was like, how many of you have gotten one of these before? All right. And uh, they said, all you'll have to do is give us your credit card number to pay for the taxes and everything else will be absolutely free. I said, Eh, no thank you. And I hung up, you know. I was like, I'm not going to give my credit card information to somebody I don't know and uh, didn't know who they were. And they, they did tell me who they were from, but it was just a little bit, you know, sketchy. And so I uh, went home and I told my wife, I said, hey, I got this phone call from this website, you know. And they said I had won a free vacation. I, she said, oh, that's cool. Did, did we get it? And, she, and I said, uh, you know, actually I hung up the phone, you know, and I, I didn't take it. She said, well, well what, if it, what if it was real? And then the wheels in my head started going around a little bit. I thought, man, well, yeah, what if it was drill, you know? So I, I remembered the name of the, the uh, company they said they were calling from. So I looked them up on Google, and this time I called them. And I said, hey, I, I got a phone call yesterday from somebody that said I had won this free trip to Mexico. You know, it was kind of like I didn't really, kn- you know, know too much about it. And, and I said, you know, is it true? And they said, well, what's your name? And uh, they searched my name, and they said, sure enough, they said, you won our sweepstakes. Apparently, a few months before, I would put my email into something, and uh, kind of through a process, I had won a sweepstakes for a trip to Mexico for four days, and I went home, told my wife, I said, hey, we won a trip to Mexico, and sure enough, we did, and for four days, it was awesome. I got to go, like, uh, 
well, it's not scuba diving, but it's like snorkeling, you know, with turtles. And we got to jump into these canotes, which are like these in-ground caves. Maybe some of you have seen these things, you know, where you jump into them. They're just like lakes at the bottom of these caves. And it was just, it was a great time. It was like a second honeymoon. We had a blast. Well, one of the things that I wanted to do while we were in Mexico is there's one of the ancient wonders of the world. It's called the Chichen Itza. And maybe, maybe some of you have been here before. I think we've got a picture of them for those of you who are not familiar. But these these ancient ruins from... Uh, just a way, way, way back. And they've been here for just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And there's all kinds of them. There's even this pyramid that they had built, you know, all before they had this modern technology. And so I really wanted to go to where these things were. And from the airport on a map, it looked like it was fairly close. But when we got there, we realized it was going to be about some four-hour drive through Mexico. And, uh, you know, me being who I am, I was kind of like, hey, this will be no problem whatsoever. This will be great. We'll have a great time. So uh, Jenny and I, we got a little, a little vehicle, and we just started driving. And within like an hour, we are literally in the middle of nowhere. Like, I'm, I mean, I don't usually get nervous at certain things, but we're driving, and it's been like 35 minutes since we've seen a soul, you know? And, and uh, we're driving along, and, and uh, earlier that day, my wife had reminded me that I needed to get some pesos, you know, you know, to exchange with and things like that. And I told her, you know what, uh, we've got, we've got American dollars. We're going to be fine. All right. Don't worry about it. It won't be a big deal. And so we're driving along. We drove for a couple hours and it, even myself, I was starting to get a little nervous because we're just, we're out in the middle of nowhere. I, I was just like, man, where are we? If anything happened, I wouldn't know what to do. And so we were just already a little bit nervous about the whole ordeal. And about two and a half hours into this trip, as we're driving out to where the Chichen Itzas are, uh, we, we, see in the distance there's this there's this roadblock and I was thinking to myself "Uh oh you know what is going to go on here and so we drive up and there's this official looking guy and he's standing there and I see this sign that says 200 pesos to pass and so I thought all right and he stands up and he's kind of broken English and we were having a hard time to translate a little bit and I I could kind of make out that he he needed 200 pesos if we were going to be able to keep driving and uh, 200 pesos I think maybe some of you know better than me it's kind of like maybe 11 or 12 dollars or something along that uh, you know uh, or so and uh, so I said to him I said I don't have any pesos but I've got you know 12 bucks and I pulled out 12 dollars and I handed him 12 dollars and he said no pesos well we didn't have any pesos, so it was kind of getting a little bit tense, you know, and I said, oh, you know, I said, no problem, so I reach in, and I pull out, you know, $15, you know, I said, yeah, $15, you know, and then I passed, he said, no, pesos, I said, I don't have any pesos, you know, what, a, I, I didn't want to drive three hours back, you know, and, the, you know, so I'm, I'm trying to figure out what to do, and I said, you know, trying to kind of communicate to him, can we work something out, you know, or whatever the case may be, and finally, he says, pull behind the building, I was like, I don't I don't know if I want to pull behind the building, you know? <laughs> so uh, against my better judgment, I drove behind this little building shack-like thing, and this guy comes out to my window. I hadn't seen this guy before. And he comes out, and he says, you need pesos? <laughs> I said, yeah, I need some pesos. <laughs> he says, I'll give you pesos. So I pull out my $11, and I was like, all right, I'll tell you. And he looks at my $11 and says, no. <laughs> he says, more. Uh, so I'm like, okay, uh, I bought $15. He keeps shaking his head the whole time. You know, he's just like looking at me like this, you know, shaking his head. And so I pull out like $25. And I'm like, $25. And I, I literally said this, good deal. <laughs> 
He said, no, no, no good deal. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, well, this is getting bad because I only had like 30-something dollars on me. So I literally pull out all the money I have, all the money we have, $37 in American cash. I give it to him, and it's ones and fives and tens, and I, I hand it to him, and he's going through, and he's standing at the window, he's counting this money, you know, 31, 30, and he's counting it all, and he counts it, and he looks at it, and he throws it back through the window and says, not enough. And I'm like, what in the world? And Jenny's next to me, and she's like, fix this, you know, make it all go away. And she says to me, she says, I've got some cash in my, uh, in my pockets in, in, one of the, um, in, in one of the suitcases. And so I asked her, I said, I, I think I got some money in the trunk. And so I, I went through, and she had like a couple $20 bills in, in a pocket in, in one of her pairs of pants. And so I pull it out, hand it to him, and he gives me my, you know, $11 worth of pesos and I was able to get through, and they gave it to them, and it all worked out. And we, praise God, made it to our destination. And it was, it was this awesome thing, and we were thanking the Lord for it. But you say, wow, you know, what, what was some of the, this is unbelievable. Okay, here we go, right here. I was like, what? I had different notes before, and uh, it kind of startled me for a moment because it all changed on me. But uh, my point to this story is life can get pretty stressful when you find yourself in a situation where you don't have access to the money that you need. How many of you have ever been in a situation where you didn't have access to the money you need? Now, in my situation, it was a little kind of obscure because I didn't have the right currency, but I think all of us have been in situations, maybe just in everyday life, where we literally didn't have the money we need just to pay some basic bills. How many of you have ever been there before? I think, I think all of us have been there at some point or the other. And I'll say this, studies have shown that literally 50% of America now lives paycheck to paycheck, and it's not a problem that's simply limited to low-income families. In fact, according to a recent Harris poll, 23% of those between, making between $50,000 and $99,000 are living from paycheck to paycheck. That's pretty hard to believe. I mean, 23% of people making close to $100,000 living paycheck to paycheck. In fact, 9% of Americans making over $100,000 still live paycheck to paycheck. And so that is what we are going to talk about a little bit today. We're going to talk about breathing room in our finances. Last week, we talked about how do we create margin? How do we create breathing room in our schedules? Today, I want to talk a little bit about how to create margin or breathing room with our finances. Now, before I dive into this, let me just say, uh, just not to scare anybody off, I know the moment a pastor or preacher starts talking about money, everybody just gets really nervous. Like, oh no, here we go again. The pastor's got to talk about money, you know? And it's not a congregation's favorite thing to listen to. And I'm just going to be honest with you, it's not pastor's favorite things to talk about. But it's in the Word. We're going to take some time. I don't want anything from you. We are not starting a capital campaign. We're not going to take two offerings this morning. I don't want anything you know, uh, from you. The reality is, I do want something for you, though. You say, what do you want for us? I want margin in your finances. I want margin for you. And we're going to talk a little bit about why that is the case here. Now, as we've been saying in the series, life is better when there is a good amount of margin or what we're calling breathing room. Life is better when there's breathing room, when there's margin in your schedule. But this week, we're going to take some time and realize that life is better when there is breathing room, when there is margin in your finances. Last week, we defined margin. Margin is the space between our current pace 
and our limits. All right, we could say it this way in context of finances. Margin is the space between our uh, current rate of spending and our financial limits. So if you are spending more than you make, that's going to create some issues. That's going to create some problems. And as we've been saying for two weeks, an unhealthy pace or an unhealthy pace in our schedule, an unhealthy pace in our budgeting or in our spending, an unhealthy pace always leads to an unhealthy place. And some of us here have maybe gotten to an unhealthy place in our lives because our pace of spending has outran our ability to make income. And we're going to talk a little bit about this. Now, statistically, I've got some charts that I want to show you. Statistically, we tend to make more as we move through our lives. If you're here and you're 14 or 15 years old, you statistically will probably make more money when you're in your 40s and your 50s than you do right now. And statistically, um, someone who's 20 years old uh, doesn't make quite as bid as somebody who's going to be 45, statistically speaking. I realize there's some outliers. I realize there's some people that wouldn't fit into that statistic. But generally speaking, for Americans, uh, up until as you're working through your careers, uh, until you maybe retire and get on a fixed income, generally speaking, Americans will tend to make a little bit more uh, when they're in their 40s than maybe when they were in their 20s. And, uh, uh, And the reason we're talking about this is because what happens is, if we're wise about it, it, as our income is growing, the Bible would help us understand that our spending does not have to increase at the same level as our income. So as our income grows, if we increase our spending, but not to the same degree as our income, here's what happens. We create something called breathing room in our finances. This is a nice thing. This is a good thing. The problem is that for most Americans, this is not how it works. In fact, for a lot of us, when our income increases, here's what we do. We increase our spending at the same rate. And so as our income goes up a little bit, our spending goes up a little bit. As we get a promotion at work, uh, we buy a nicer car. You know, as maybe we get a bonus, then all of a sudden we put some more on credit. And as Americans, we have a propensity to spend whatever it is we get. And it's easy because that money burns a hole in our pocket. Now, here's what gets really, really interesting. The more we make, the more the credit card companies will allow us to have larger, uh, you know, debt loads and debt limits, and, and the banks will let us borrow more money on our houses. And for most Americans, as their income goes up, their spending actually goes up proportionally. I, I think we have a screen to represent this here a little bit. Notice this next, and you'll see where the spending is actually above what the income is. For the majority of Americans, are spending five. more than they currently make. Think about that for a moment. 5% more. You can't do that for very long. You say, how is that even possible? Well, through American Express and through MasterCard and through Visa, they make it pretty easy to spend more than you make. And you say, what's what's the problem with this? The problem is, I believe, as we're going to talk about this today, how to create that margin, that breathing room, has huge implications on our spiritual life. In fact, Jesus spoke more about money 
than any other single topic. And I believe this is because our interaction with money is foundational to the human experience. And how we interact with money has massive impact on the quality of our lives. I want to say that again. How you, as a Christian and a believer, how you engage your money, how you perceive your money, how you interact with your money has massive implications on the quality of your life. I'm going to put this on the screen because I think this will help you understand it. Standard of living does not equal quality of life. There's an illusion in American culture that if I can increase my standard of living, that will also increase my quality of life. That is, if I can drive cooler cars, that'll make my quality of life go up. If I can live in a nicer house, that'll help my quality of life go up. If I can wear nicer clothes, that'll help the quality of my life go up. But the reality is this, there is not a correlation between your standard of living and the quality of life. In fact, quite the opposite is often true. Oftentimes, as we try to increase our standard of living, with debt and with credit cards and maxing out ourselves financially in our attempts to increase our standard of life, we actually in turn will lower the quality of our life. In fact, one person that we see in the scriptures that exemplifies this was a man by the name of King Solomon. How many of you ever heard of King Solomon from the book of Ecclesiastes? Uh, One of the richest men that ever lived had Tons and tons in the way of financial resources. In fact, as you read the scriptures, theologians and scholars have added up what his gold would be worth in today's economy. And scholars have estimated that his net worth, get this, was over a trillion dollars by today's standard. Right now, I think the richest man in the world, his net worth is like, what, $75 billion or something. Can you imagine I mean, 10 times. We're talking about a trillion dollars. And that was Solomon's net worth. And yet you come to the end of Solomon's life and he says this, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. He said, I had the standard of living. I had everything you could want. I had houses. I had resources. I had money. And here's what he says. It didn't affect my quality of life. You see, as Americans, we are easily deceived into thinking, if I can just increase my standard of living, it'll also increase my quality of life. When in reality, what often ends up happening is as we use debt and credit cards to increase our standard of living, it actually diminishes our quality of life. I'll put this on the screen. Creating breathing room in your finances. So if we're going to lean into this thing of creating margin financially, where we are spending less than we make, creating breathing room in our finances may lower your standard of living. If you're going to create some margin in your finances, it might, it might mean you've got to downsize what kind of vehicles you drive. It might mean that you're not able to wear the same kind of clothes that you want to wear. It might mean that you don't get to drive a particular car that you want to. Creating breathing room in your finances may lower your standard of living, but it will raise the quality of your life because quality of life is not anchored to standard of living. Quality of life is anchored to breathing room and margin where the Holy Spirit of God can take place and work and provide peace and joy and those things that only the Spirit can breathe in. But if there's no margin, if there's no space, there is no place for the spirit of God to do his work. And so creating creating breathing room in our finances may actually lower your standard of living, but at the end of the day, it raises the quality of life. And ultimately, that's what our heart desires. We have just bought into the lie 
that quality of life is anchored to standard of living, and it's a lie. Solomon would tell you it's a lie. Ancient, the uh, Proverbs would tell us it's a lie. So let's dive into this. Let's see what Jesus had to say about this. Notice what Luke chapter number 16 says. Jesus is telling one of his parables, as he often would throughout the Gospels. He gives a parable about a, an unwise steward, and he, he speaks on this for a while about stewardship and, and managing someone else's resources, which is what we're all doing. None of this belongs to us. It all belongs to God. We are not the owners. We are simply the managers. How are we managing that which belongs to God? And then he wraps up this parable with a, ver, with a verse. Notice verse number 13, and, and this is powerful. Get this. Jesus says, no servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Notice this. You cannot serve God and mammon. The word mammon means money. You can't serve God and money. You can't do it. Now, maybe there's somebody here saying, you know what? I don't. I don't serve money. Money is not my master. Money, money is not in control of me. However, think about this for a moment. If you find yourself in situations where money is telling you what you can and cannot do, it might be your master. And that is to say, if you... Read passages on, in the Bible where it tells you how maybe uh, you're not to worry and not to get anxious. And there are passages that talk about not worrying, and yet you find yourself always worrying about some financial issue. You're always worrying about this spending thing. If you're worrying about that, that is to say if, if your money keeps you in a place where you can't obey the Scriptures when it comes to not worrying, it might be. That money is your master. Or if you read wisdom passages in the scriptures that talk about things like saving, it, it says this is a good thing, and yet you're not able to do it because, because your financial situation won't allow you to. It might be that money is your master. Or if you read in the scriptures where it talks about financial generosity or you read about sacrificing for the work of the Lord and and you say to yourself, I'd love to do that. That would be great. I have every intention to do those things. If you get to that place where when you open the Bible and say, I'd love to do those things, but I can't do that because my mortgage won't let me. Money might be your master. Or you say, I'd love to do those things the Bible talks about, but my, but my credit card payments won't let me. Money might be your master. Or you say, I'd, I'd love to do, you know, uh, what I'm supposed to do, these things and those things with money, but, 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 but my bills and my, and my rent and my financial commitments won't let me. Can I say this? You probably are a slave to money. And I know this is not a popular thing to talk about right now. But God is more concerned with your quality of life than he is with your standard of living. And some of you are enslaved to money and you don't realize it. 
because you have intentions to do wise things with your finances. You have intentions to sacrifice and be benevolent and, and serve and tithe and give and, and help those in need. And that's your heart. That's your desire. That's what you want to do. But you can't because your mortgage won't let you. Your rent won't let you. Your car payments won't let you. Your credit card bills won't let you. And so you want to, but you can't. You see something in the scriptures and the Bible says to, to help others in need and you have to go and look and you have to look at money and say, man, you have to look at your credit card statement and say, uh, you know, can I do this? You look at your bank statement and can I do that? You have to get permission to obey God. You're a slave. And you don't realize that. Because you know what the scriptures say about these things. You know what it desires, and you just can't. Can I remind you that we are called to be followers of Jesus? We're called to follow him. But when we get to a place where we can't follow his directions financially, think about this. God calls you to some things financially, but you can't follow him financially because you, have, you, know, you don't have any extra money. God says, follow me. God says, financially, this is how you follow me. And you say, I want to, I intend to, but I can't. It might be because you have a master, and that master is debt. Or you get to a place where you can't follow his directions emotionally. God says, hey, don't worry. Don't be anxious for anything. God calls you to emotionally follow him with your emotions and your emotional state to be at peace. And you can't be emotionally stable. You can't be at peace because you're always stressed out about your credit card debt. You want to live a life where you're not worrying about finances and bills, but you can't. Your debt won't let you. Why? Debt's become your master. Or you want to get to a place, you want to follow his directions relationally, like it says in Acts chapter number 2, where, where they were serving and being benevolent one to another, and it talks about helping others, but you're so financially stretched, you can't bear one another's burdens in that way. And so you want to follow Jesus financially, you want to follow him emotionally, you want to follow him relationally, but your financial situation won't allow it. It says, no, you can't. It has become your master. And we live in a day and age where as Americans, we don't even realize how we actually serve money. We actually let money call more of the shots in our lives than God. And I think if we were to be honest with ourselves, we know that's true. Oh, I want to do what God says about savings, and I want to do what he says about benevolence, and I want to, I know, I want to do, we want to do all those things, we intend to do all those things, but we can't. Why? Because God's not ultimately calling the shots in our life. Our bank account is. Our debt is. It is our ultimate master. We have to get permission, we have to look at our bank account in order to see whether or not we're going to follow God. That makes sense. So when Jesus comes along and says, you can't serve two masters, let's not get so high and mighty. Well, God is my master. Oh my. Really? Really? Is he really? Do, you can do what God calls you to do without getting permission? 
Because for most people, in order for them to get to a place where they do what God wants them to do financially or relationally or emotionally, they get permission from their bank account ledger. They got to get permission from their credit card statements. They got to get permission. And when you have to go to that to see whether or not you're going to follow God, you're serving money. So what do we do when we find ourselves in this situation? Because a lot of us have. We find ourselves in a situation where, where we have to get permission to do what God wants us to do with our finances from some other entity other than God. So what do we do? Let me give you five practical things as we kind of wrap this thing up to help us get to a place where we can go from making money our master to where now we have breathing room, margin in our financial lives, so we are free to let God be God. Number one, surrender to God's will on this issue. Just surrender. Say, God, I trust you. I believe you. And I make the decision that you will ultimately be in charge of what I do or what I don't do with my money. Not my debt. Not what job I have. Not how much I'm making. Not how much I have in savings. I'm going to let you be ultimately in charge. And I'm going to follow you regardless. You get to call the shots. Not my debt. Not my bank account. You get to. And I surrender. You're in control. Number two. Pray for a breathing room goal. Pray for a breathing room goal. Maybe for some of you, you're spending 5% more than you make. Maybe for others of you, you just spend whatever you make. And there's no, there's no margin, and you are stressed out all the time. You have no peace, you have no joy. Just, you can't do it. You, you feel guilty every time God lays something in your heart because, you, because your money and your debt won't give you permission and allow you to do it. And so I'm saying here, pray for a margin or a breathing room goal. For Jenny and I, this has been probably one of the best things we've done for our marriage is just said, you know what, we are going to create, we're going to create margin. Why? <laughs> because we realize that success in life is not in our standard of living. Quality of life doesn't come from standard of living. Quality of life comes from how much margin you can create. And some of us, you just need to get that. If you get nothing else today and you just get that, that the, that the quality of your life has far more to do with how much margin you have than it has to do with how big your standard of living is. If that's all you took away today, your life would improve tremendously moving forward. Stop believing the lie that the quality of life is somehow anchored to all the stuff you can buy and the house you can live in, the cars you can drive, and the toys you can have in the garage. I'm just telling you, it's an illusion. Because quality of life is anchored to margin and space for the Spirit of God to come in and breathe peace and joy and just have a place for grace. But we max out our schedules, we max out our budgets, we max out our energy, and there's no more space for grace. And we wonder why we're just so ah all the time. There's no breathing room. Pray for a breathing room goal. Maybe for you, you say, I'm going to start out with 5%. I'm going to, I'm going to try to spend 5% less than I make. And that's your breathing room goal. Whatever you make, five, I'm going to spend 5% less. Maybe for some of you, it's like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend 15% less than I make. 
Number three, what's another practical thing? Surrender to God's will. Say, God, I surrender to you on this one too. Pray for a breathing room goal. Number three, these are real practical. I'm just trying to help you create margin because I know if you get margin, the quality of your life will improve. And I know everybody else, every other commercial and everything else on TV is going to tell you, no, for your quality of life to improve, you've got to buy these knives. Ah, you know, you've got to buy this car. Ah, you've got to buy this technology. Ah, oh, yeah, I need all this stuff, don't I? No, you don't. You need margin. That's what you need. You need margin in your schedule. You need margin in your finance. That's what you need. Because you need a place, a space for grace. In your finances, you need it emotionally, you need it in your schedule. So number three, I want to say this, spy on your money. I'm I'm talking real practical, I'm talking baseline here. Statistics show that the most Americans are surprised when they find out how much money they're they're spending totally. That is to say, everybody knows, hey, I spent a little here and I spent a little there. Most Americans don't actually know how much they're spending to go out to eat. Most people don't know how much they're spending on groceries. They just don't know. Well, it can't be that much. I mean, I just go buy some milk and I bought some cereal. Most people just don't know where their money goes. And so when they see it for the first time, they're kind of shocked. What? I don't know we spend that much money on that. What? Because it doesn't feel like you're spending that much money. Just the discipline of spying on your money, and for two weeks, just write it down. Just go through the discipline of writing it down. Just know, where, where does my money go? Because a lot of what you spend your money on, if you knew it was the very thing that was choking the life, out of the quality of life, you'd be like, it ain't worth it. And just acknowledging it would put you light years ahead. Just spy on it. Just be aware of it. Number four, this is, this is what's hard. Cut your spending. <laughs> Stop spending so much. Just cut it. And, okay, guys, most of us have a bunch of things in our garage that we wanted so badly and we haven't used it in over a year. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> like, we really wanted that thing, and finally we got it, and it was like, for years it sat there, and your wife's getting so mad at you. You told me if you got that, you were going to use it, and you not used it at all, you know? I mean, we're guilty, right, guys? Ladies, you go to your closets. Guys, you know what I'm talking about. It's packed full of clothes, like jam full of clothes and their shoes hanging out, you know, and just clothes everywhere. It looks like a tornado went through. And, and your wife goes in there, and what does she say on most days? I got nothing to wear. <laughs> you wanted these clothes so bad. <laughs> you just had to have that thing. And then it goes in your closet, and you wear it two times, then you forget you even own it. See, you live under the illusion that a, that a bigger standard of living, if I just have more clothes, if I just have more, you know, shoes, if I just have nicer things, that's going to improve the quality of my life. And I'm just telling you, it's a lie. More stuff doesn't improve the quality of your life. Margin, margin improves the quality of your life. Having space for grace improves the quality of your life. 
But the enemy wants to, no, you need this, and you need that, and you need all those things. He sells you a lie, and then you live in a place where you can't experience the grace that God has for you. So here, here this is, I want, to, I want to give you this because I think it might be a help to you. I and we might even say this together in just a moment, all right? Put this on the screen. I want is better than I owe. <laughs> say that with, whole, whole church together. Say it together with me real quick, all right? I want is better than I owe. You say, I really want that truck. That's great. It's, it feels good to want something. But you know what? I want that truck feels a lot better than I owe on that truck. <laughs> it just does. I want, you know, that thing. <laughs> I want that, you know, what is it, what, how big are these televisions now? You know, I want that 175-inch, you know, television. Because when I'm watching a football game, I want to feel like I'm being pummeled. <laughs> you know, you just, I want to feel it. I want to hear it. I want a giant screen television feels way better than I owe on that television. I promise you. It just does. Why? Because I want is better than I owe. Which leaves us with this. Lastly, get a debt retirement program. Get out of debt. Just, I realize it's normal in America to be in debt and have credit card debt and have car payments and to have payments on all different things in the world. I realize it's a cultural normal thing to do, but it is messing with your quality of life. It's, it's hurting you. Get a debt retirement program. You say, well, well how do I do that? Let me, let me tell you what I did, and maybe this will help somebody in here. I would go out if I could. I'd go get, if, you, if you're in some debt right now, about 11 years ago, my wife and I, we went and got this book from Dave Ramsey, all right? I think we might even have a picture of it. If you want a total money makeover, right? Take this book and just do what Dave says to do. It'll help you. 11 years ago, my wife and I completely got out of debt. We have, for 11 years, we've had zero credit card debt. We've made zero payments on uh, all, just no debt whatsoever. We've just decided we're just not going to have any debt other than a house payment. And I'm telling you what, the margin that that creates improves quality of life. You say, well, you know, I don't, I don't know that I really have money to afford Dave Ramsey's book. That's how bad it is for me right now, you know. I can't, can't afford his $12 book. I got, a, I, got a, I got an idea for you. I want you to go this afternoon to Barnes & Nobles. I want you to find one of those really comfy little couches, and I want you to turn to chapter number seven and read it. <laughs> it's about debt retirement. It'll help you. You say, Pastor, it's really bad. Not only do I not have enough time, but I still haven't figured out last week's message. I, I, don't, I don't have enough money or enough time. <laughs> okay? <laughs> go to Barnes & Nobles, pull out your cell phone, all right, and simply just take a picture of page 112 <laughs> on your cell phone called the debt snowball. Take a picture of it, go home. When you have, when you have time, read that page and do it. <laughs> all right, it'll help. And then once you get out of debt, go back and buy the book. All right, how's that sound? <laughs> Life is better with breathing room. Stop overspending it's not helping. I know the illusion is it's going to make your life better. It's not. It's stressing you out. I know the illusion is if I have these clothes and I drive this vehicle and I live in this type of house, the quality of my life is going to improve. No, it's not. Because quality of life is not anchored to standard of living. Quality of life is anchored to margin. 
breathing room, a space for grace. And that, in that place, will you begin to experience peace and, and there's room for the Spirit of God to lead and to interact. And now you can finally be at a place where you're following God. It's amazing how good life gets when you can actually follow God without getting permission from your credit card company. Life gets really good. I don't say these things to make anybody in this room feel guilty. I don't want anything from you. I want something for you. I want you to actually be able to have the quality of life that all this materialism is promising you but not giving you. It's something for you. Jesus said, I'm come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. We gave you a card. It's a breathing room card. We're going to do this exercise a few weeks while we're working through this series. Ask yourself, financially, what do I need to add to be a follower of God financially? What is it, what is it that I'm not doing right now that I need to add? What is it, if I'm going to be a follower of God in, this, in these areas, what do I need to stop doing? Maybe it's, some of you, I'm, I'm, and you're going to think this is extreme, some of us just need to take our vehicles back to the car lot, say, I can't afford this. I don't know what I was thinking when I got it. You can have it back. I'm going to go get something I can afford. You say, that's extreme. Jesus said, you know what, what's extreme is if, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. That, that's extreme, all right? Turning in your car for another one, that ain't extreme. You'll be over it in two weeks. I've literally, I've had people, we've talked about this stuff. I've, I, have, I have people who've sat under my preaching and said, you know what, we're moving. We can't afford what we, where we live. The only reason we're living here is to try to impress people, but we can't afford it. And so I, we've had people move. You say, that's extreme. No, it's not. Because the quality of your life will improve. Yeah, your standard of living may go down a hair, but at the end of the day, it, you know what? We don't actually care about our standard of living. What we care about is quality of life. What do you need to take away? What do, you, what do you need to do a little less of? Maybe you don't need to get rid of it completely, but in order to create some margin, just a little less of. A little less eating out. A little, less, a little fewer trips to Starbucks. You know, just a little less of, you know, whatever it is that thing is for you. What is it that, in order to create margin, you've got to do a little less of? What is it that you probably need to do a little more of? Maybe a little more saving, a little more investing. I want you to work through that exercise. I know these sermons have been practical. This is a mini summer series. I realize, I just, I'm tr- I want to help you, all right? That's, that's my spirit. That's my heart. God has been so gracious to me in allowing me to allow his word just to work these things out in my life, and I'm telling you, it's a blessing. And I want it to bless you as well. Jesus said, I'm coming to them, I have life in them, I have it more abundantly. But when we are maxing out our credit cards and we're maxing out how much money we're spending, we're maxing out our schedules, we're maxing out our energy, there's no space for grace. And it diminishes our quality of life. How is it that God would lead you to move forward in these areas? Shall we pray? Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.